0: I have chosen to uh, abandon the message that I had originally penned for today. I uh, packed it away neatly on Wednesday night, excited about sharing it on a routine, normal, beautiful summer Sunday. Uh, And then the events of this week began to really heat up. And I found myself caught up in them, musing over them, struggling with them, as many of you no doubt have. And I felt compelled to at least try and reflect on the significance of these tragic events in light of the meaning of this table that we're going to be coming to together today. Uh, Some of what I have uh, shared or going to share with you this morning appeared in a Facebook post I made on Friday. I think it may bear repeating and there will be more to be added still. But my text for today is simply a single verse. It is taken from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 9 and verse 4, and it reads, Go throughout the city and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Go throughout the city and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve. Pay attention, acknowledge... Understand those who are grieving, this is what the admonition here is, and and lament, join your hearts in a lament over all, and there are many different ways in which detestable things are done. These thoughts, I hope, will guide us as we struggle to come to terms with our times in light of the gospel's message. As I drove to work this past Thursday, I I listened in the car radio to the news event that had, I gather, taken place just the Wednesday night before, but I had somehow missed. And I was listening to the audio uh, version of what was a globally circulated video describing or revealing the actual encounter that took place up in Minnesota on Wednesday night. As most of you know by now, the young African-American man by the name of uh, uh, Castile, Philando Castile, uh, was uh, in his car. Uh, He held a responsible job. He was simply traveling with the woman he was engaged to be married to and a four-year-old child in the back seat. And I could hear on the audio the encounter that went on as he was pulled over for a a broken tail light and I could hear him speaking Uh, somewhat respectfully and appropriately, I thought, to the officer who had pulled him over on this occasion. He politely and very clearly informed uh, the police officer that he did indeed have a permitted uh, gun in the car with him, a permitted firearm, and was now going to be reaching for his wallet, and then the individual uh, outside of the car who I'm sure on most days Uh, was an individual who acted to protect and serve to the best of his possible ability, uh, somehow chose to shoot Mr. Castile four times, and um, Philando Castile died at the scene. Uh, The killing of a homeless man by the name of Alton Sterling just the day before down in Baton Rouge bore similar marks uh, of what would seem, at least at the outset, as excessive force, to say the least. I sat in the car listening to this recording as it played again and again over the radio, and I just found myself speechless. We're all aware, I think, that events like these are not unusual anymore. They've, they've actually gotten heightened visibility in recent years because of the uh, presence of cell phones now, perhaps. Uh, But they have, it is clear now, been going on for so many years and in so many places that it has left entire communities of people with trauma and with wounds and with mistrust that now doesn't heal, that adds now to to the boiling, seething conditions in so many parts of America. Friends of color from the city and from suburbs alike will often speak of feeling afraid uh, at the sight of a, of a black and white vehicle in, in the lane behind them. And their families speak of being worried when their loved ones go out in the car and, and are late in coming home for reasons that I never, ever, ever worry about my family. I worry about them coming home late, but it's for a whole nother set of reasons than many, many Americans worry about their loved ones. It's really important, I think, for us to acknowledge that police officers and their families worry too. Um, The calculated killing of five officers in Dallas later on on Thursday was every bit as heinous an act uh, of unnecessary violence as what had happened uh, the night before. And those particular officers, as we know, are not the first ones to leave. Loved ones, families grieving simply because they were out there trying to keep the peace. Every month, servants in blue are, are, are killed alongside of our highways as they go down our city streets, as they answer a domestic disturbance call. Uh, and I believe that the vast majority of these officers uh, are dutifully uh, working, worthy of honor, struggling to face an increasingly dangerous and complicated world. At the same time, I will confess that I have been personally, and this is my story, I'm not laying this one on you, I'm just sharing how I've processed the events. Um, And I'd love to talk further with you about how you've been processing them. I will tell you that, that I have largely been blind, maybe even willfully ignorant about events like the kind that played out for Philando Castile or Alton Sterling. Truthfully, honestly, I've tended to rationalize the events. I have. Why did he go for his wallet? Why did he have to go for his wallet? It comes across my mind. Or I've excused the, the errant and, and, and in some cases very obviously excessive acts of authority because of all of the pressure that these persons are so obviously under. I've pointed my finger at all of the black-on-black crime out there, as if that somehow uh, could take us and should take us away from being concerned about these other kinds of events, as if this somehow justified the murder of somebody's child or lessened the grief that God must feel at the incredible brokenness of his creation. There are all kinds of explanations A lot of of thoughtful explanations for how I've typically reacted, but I'm increasingly coming to feel there's no real excuse. Uh, I know that not because I've bought some politically correct line. I know that because of what I feel inside of me. When I imagine, what if that was my family in the car? What What if that was my brother? in Baton Rouge fallen on hard times as i turned off the radio and and i walked into the church building that thursday morning uh, my mind just began to run on to other things I began to to think about getting to my email about uh, the appointments that were coming up that day, the long list of to-dos that I needed to attend to, a whole list of what you might call first world worries now began to to occupy my uh, attention. And it was not until I met the tear-streaked face of one of my African-American co-workers that I was pulled up short again. Why hadn't I immediately entered the building and sought this person out and the several other African-American coworkers I have? Why wasn't that my first impulse? Having been so deeply affected when I was sitting there in that car, what was that about for me? Was it because I was already, already hardening my heart to the events? Was that what was going on? Was it because I feared that maybe there would be a violent backlash from some black individual like there was eventually later that day in Dallas that would further confuse my feelings and leave me not sure what to to do? Did I unconsciously avoid going to my black neighbors because I, I felt helpless to say anything or to do anything really constructive? What was this all about? I think the answer is probably yes, and yes, and yes, as I have thought about it. And it took my heartbroken sister, uh, Felicia Thompson, actually crossing the divide and coming to me to pull me out of this, to pull me out of this inward-turned orientation. And Felicia reminded me that, that that none of us should be alone in our pain. And she was in pain. And in my own way, I was in pain. Not the level she was dealing with. And, and, and she also reminded me that there's always something you can do. In the face of times like ours, even if you don't see a simple fix to the problems and the tensions of our time, there's always one thing you can do. When you're confronted by pain and wrongdoing, The biblical prophets admonish us that even if we do not know how to repair all of the problems, we can at least gather together and lament. We can at least hold hands and lament all of the detestable things that are done in our world. As we are doing here today, we can mourn with those who mourn we can cry out for wisdom to the God who sees the detail in the storyline at a level we can't. We can refuse to accept the way it is and never stop longing and praying for the inbreaking of a much better kind of kingdom. We can pray and encourage uh, each other to pray and encourage others to pray that, that, that we will not be stuck in the giant agony of this world alone This world's still so much in need of a Savior, but will be used somehow by God to help bring about a different kind of world. So I'm sorry for my hard-heartedness. I'm sorry that I just caved to a sense of helplessness. I regret that I've not done more to reach out to my brothers and sisters in these times, uh, whether they happen to be black or blue or white or any other color for that matter. And I lament today. I lament today. And, and I join my heart to other people who are sorrowing. And I want to work to build a better kind of world and be part of a church that's about that. So for all of these reasons, I am grateful to be coming to this table. Uh, I am especially grateful today that as it turned out, Many, many Americans are coming to a table like this in churches of of many shapes and sizes Uh, because, you know, it is here that we are called to remember that God has not given up. He's not turned his back on this sinful and broken world of ours. The table reminds us of that. On the contrary, on the cross, God shows us that where things are at at their worst, he moves towards those places. He, he identifies with the with the brokenness and the and the, the sin sickness of those particular places. God enters into the writhing agony of our world that he takes upon himself the full weight of all that we suffer and all that we do, and in fact, all that we don't even know that we're doing, because so often we know not what we fully do. And it is here that God has proclaimed a grace that is larger than our sin, a power for redemption that is greater than even our hopes. It's here that God stretches out his hands to take hold of us and to draw us into the circle, into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the community of the faithful. For there is no color, there is no color at the foot of the cross except red the blood of Christ that washes anybody who will humbly come to him. In the classic movie, Places in the Heart, we hear the story of a southern town in the Old South, locked in a terrible, bitter kind of human division. The black members and the white members of that community have extremely little contact with each other. Though it's not that large a community. They are strictly segregated. Uh, Even church is a reflection of that sad state of the community. Even people who claim the same Jesus don't know each other, really in this particular place. In fact, the so-called righteous in this town of many colors are prejudiced. They're passive in the face of, of obvious need of healing because there's killing going on around the town. There's terrible injustices. The dignity of people is not being respected. People talk about Christ. They, they mouth the word love all of the time, but the love they show towards other people is rarely Christ-like. And we see this played out in in more encounters than I can describe. It's just the same old, awful news, day after day after day, and it seems to get worse, and then it becomes terribly tragic, and then there's this final scene. In the final scene of the movie, the camera takes you into the church building of the white congregation that you've already met earlier in the story. And it appears to be a normal Sunday, A normal communion Sunday, actually. And as the camera pans across the pews, you're suddenly surprised to see there is a young black man sitting there. And and as you look closer, you realize the young black man is is an individual that you saw brutally lynched, murdered uh, earlier in the story. And you're confused. And then you notice that he's sitting right next to the sheriff, the white sheriff that he had actually shot accidentally, which brought about the lynching in this case. And the camera moves on further, and you start to see all of these faces you begin to recognize of people who had been exploiting each other and ignoring each other and hating each other and condemning each other, and they're now breaking bread with each other and humbly offering the cup one to the other. And you realize that you're not seeing a normal communion service. You are actually being given a glimpse into the true communion, the ultimate communion, the final communion towards which this world is moving by God's grace. You're glimpsing the world as it should be, the world as it will be, the world as it can be, the world where all of the diabolical deeds and divisions of our lives and all of the physical and spiritual and social sicknesses that afflict us now are finally healed by the grace of God, and we suddenly see one another as the precious brothers and sisters we always were, but had been so blinded by sin and selfishness and hardness of heart to see before. And all of them are now people we understand are in need of God's grace like we are. And we're glad to share it to them, glad to give it away to them. Beloved, until that final day that is coming and of which this table is but a sign, until that final day, The church of Jesus Christ keeps doing this thing we're doing today across our building and that the church of Jesus is doing in the inner city and in countrysides and in all of the states of our nation right now. The church does this. We confess our personal sin and we lament the brokenness of this creation. We mourn over the brokenness of this creation. We join our hands around the table with whoever else comes, of whatever color, whatever background, because we recognize our kinship in Jesus Christ. And in defiance of all of the forces of hate and selfishness out there and in here, we we clasp each other refusing to break our grip on one another. And we turn to the great God who is our hope and our salvation and whose grace is finally sufficient for all Of our needs and we come to this table we come to this table saying forgive us Lord renew us Lord use us Lord until your will is finally and fully done here on earth as it is around that heavenly banquet table even now would you join me in prayer and will you pray, pray with me as Jesus taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation,